Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome to the Inspired Evolution, a show dedicated to helping you actually live the life that you love. I'm your host, Amrit Sandhu, international speaker, global coach, and loving podcaster. As a gift for tuning into this podcast, I have something really special just for you. My premium short course, which can teach you how to meditate in just seven days, you can download it now at www.inspiredevolution.com forward slash learn. That's www.inspiredevolution.com forward slash learn. Learn how to meditate in just seven days. Sit back, relax, and enjoy this powerfully insightful conversation. Don't forget to hit subscribe so you don't miss any of the latest episodes launching every Monday designed to help you live the life you love and keep you inspired to evolve. Welcome to the Inspired Evolution and it is a it's a lucky treat. We are blessed <laughs> to have with us Gay Hendricks with us here today. Gay, how are you? I'm magnificent. How are you today? I'm fantastic. For those tuning in to Gay for the first time, give me a second. Let me do the honors. He has served for more than 40 years as one of the major contributors to the fields of relationship transformation and body-mind therapies, really connecting to the wisdom of your body. Mate, we are here. Throughout his career, Dr. Hendricks has coached more than 800 executives, including top managers from places such as Dell, HP, Motorola, KLM, and he's co-authored many books, including Conscious loving the corporate mystic and recently conscious luck it is such a treat to have you here gay thank you very much Amrit. it's really fun to be with you and i'm really excited to get to talk about the new book as well as i'm always happy to talk about uh, the big leap and other books that i've written too there's so much in there and i'm so inspired and look reading the conscious luck i each chapter is a book in unto itself so <laughs> 
I'm hoping we get to cover a lot of ground in today's call. But when we when we're dropping in there, I would love to sort of start with what inspired you to write this book and not hoard all the luck for yourself. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I think I'm the luckiest person in the world. I'm the luckiest person I've ever met. So if you're the luckiest person you've ever met, what you want to do is make everybody else feel that way too. So that was the original inspiration for writing the book. But I'll tell you, this particular book, Conscious Luck, goes back to a conversation I had when I was 14 years old, growing up in a little town in Florida, Leesburg, Florida. And there was one movie theater there. And so on Saturday afternoons, they would show Western movies primarily, but they would often have a drawing for some kind of a prize. And so I was sitting next to a kid named Danny, and I didn't know him particularly well, but uh, I knew him a little bit. Um, And when they got ready to have the drawing, he leaned over and he said, I'm going to win a prize. And I said, okay. And Sure enough, they they put all of our, there was probably 250 people in the theater, and they put all of our tickets in a goldfish bowl and then had somebody come up from the audience and draw out three tickets. And sure enough, Danny won the top prize of the three prizes, which happened to be a wristwatch, which was pretty cool in 1959. (laughs) You know, that was a big thing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And so afterwards, I asked him, how did you do that? How did you know you were going to win? And he said, I always win stuff like that. I decided one day I was going to be one of the lucky ones. That's how he put it. And I said, well, what do you mean? And he said, well, I noticed that some people in my family were unlucky and some people were lucky and the good stuff happened to be <laughs> to the lucky ones. <laughs> and so I decided to be one of the lucky ones. And I thought it's as easy as that. You know, you just change your mind. I mean, this was long before I ever heard of affirmations or anything like that. You know, I was just a a redneck kid growing up in uh, central Florida in alligator country. Mm -hmm. And so this moment, though, had a profound kind of effect on me because I think it was the first time I ever thought that you could change your life by changing your mind. Mm. And that appealed to me greatly. I've always been very interested in psychology and spirituality and things like that when I was a kid. Even though I don't come from a particularly religious family or anything, I was always asking these big questions, you know, like I was always bugging my mom about, okay, what is this thing called God? You know, you got to explain it to me. And, uh, and then she would say, come on, you know, give me a break. I'm a newspaper reporter. I'm not here to talk about God. You know? <laughs> but anyway, I, I was very much into, I think, what I would now call human potential. Uh, even back then, you see, now I'm at the other end of my career now. I started actually 50 uh, 50 years ago, 52 years ago, I saw my first client in 1968. And so I've been at this for a long time, and I've come to some conclusions about the human species. And one of the conclusions I've come to is a very hopeful one, which is that I think each of us has within us what I call a genius zone. Yo. It's a part of us that represents what we most love to do and also what will get us the biggest rewards in the world. I mean, it, it may be money rewards, but you'll get other kinds of rewards too if you really fulfill your life purpose. Mm-hmm. And for me, I in 1977, I sat down and had an earnest conversation with myself about what is my life purpose? And 
I came up with this one idea, which is my life purpose is to expand every day of my life in love, creativity, and abundance as I go about inspiring other people to do the same. And so ever since that, I figured out this is my genius zone. And I've just, when I first came across this idea, I was only spending maybe 10% of my time in my genius zone. Mm. But I started, I actually, I set a goal of spending 30% of my time. And then when I made that, I get to 50%. By the end of the century, 1999 or so, I was spending 90% of my time in my genius zone, doing what I most love to do and being admirably well paid for it. And so ever since then, that's been the key thing for me. 10% of my time, I say, is spent getting around from place to place and, uh, you know, eating and things like that. So, uh, but uh, during pretty much all my waking hours, I do things like you and I are doing now. And I just did them yesterday on an Irish talk show. And uh, today I'm talking to some guy in Melbourne, Australia. <laughs> so every day I get to have two or three conversations like this with people around the world. And, um, but to get back to conscious luck for a moment, I started thinking about this, this idea of changing your thoughts and changing your mind mm. and changing your life. And Later on, it occurred to me that we're all just one thought away from making any kind of life change that we want to make. Because the moment you can launch a positive thought into whatever situation you've been in, mm. it begins to open a space. And so, like, I'm here talking to you because of an experience I had when I was 24 years old. Um, looking at me now, I'm a six foot tall, 180 pound athletic looking person. You wouldn't believe that when I was 24 years old, I weighed more than 300 pounds. Well, uh, I can't remember what that is in kilos, but it's, uh, <laughs> it's a substantial, uh, <laughs> in, in, uh, in English terms, it's way more than 20 stone, 25 stone, something like that. I think like it's that. 135 but kgs plus, yeah. 135, yeah. So how much do you weigh? Uh, at the moment, 75 to 80, I fluctuate. But uh, I do relate. Okay. I used to be about 105 at one point, but 135 is a big boy. <laughs> uh, that's a big boy. So I was two of you. Wow. Yeah. Anyway, so, and not only that, by age 24, I'd managed to create a relationship that I was in that was going terribly. Mm. I'd managed to create a job that I hated and a car I didn't like. And so it's like I negatively manifested everything that I didn't want. And not only that, I weighed 320 pounds and I had been fat since I was a baby. Basically, I was I was taken around to specialists when I was a kid because I was the only fat person in a skinny family. And so they, it was a medical problem. And so I went around to different doctors and had shots and took pills and everything. But it was a big problem up until I was age 24. And then I had an, a moment of enlightenment that changed everything. And then I lost more than 100 pounds over the next year and continued to lose more over the years. So here's what happened in that moment. And I think everyone listening, there's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. 
PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hopefully can relate to this because you've been stuck. I, I'm, you, you know, you've been stuck. We've all been stuck in some life situation that was just killing us inside. And that's how I felt by age 24. My father had died at age 32 when my mother was pregnant with me, and he had died grossly obese, smoking heavily, which I did at the time. I smoked two to three packs of Marlboros a day and not in a very great relationship. And so I realized I was leading his life. And how I realized that is I went out for a walk one afternoon and I slipped and fell on the ice. I was living in New England and teaching at a little school for delinquent boys at the time. And so I lived on the campus with my uh, then partner. Um, and I slipped and fell. And, and I didn't knock myself out. But I went down on the ground with this massive whomp. And it kind of half knocked the breath out of me. But what it did is it jolted me out of my ego version of myself. And in this two minutes or so, I realized, oh, soul, spirit, those aren't concepts. Those are something I can actually feel inside. I felt this big open space of, of energy inside myself that didn't have any programming on it. And it was like suddenly opening up and realizing that you're floating in this big cosmic ocean of potential bliss, and all you have to do is open up to it. Mm -hmm. And that was incredible news to me. I'd never even heard, I'd never read a metaphysical book. I'd never heard of yoga or any stuff like that. I was an English major, you know, I was mm -hmm. a poetry and that kind of thing. But in this moment, I became an incredibly open to spirit person because I could actually feel it in my body. Mm. And I could also feel kind of what was in between me and feeling that all the time, because I could feel down into me anger that I hadn't even acknowledged and grief that I had never acknowledged and fears that I'd carried around for years and sexuality that I'd never really fully gotten in touch with. And so there I was feeling myself for about two minutes in an entirely new way. Mm. It was like looking down through myself through a microscope and seeing all these parts of myself that I had never felt before. And then I began to come out of it. You know, I began to realize, oh, I'm laying on the ground and it's 
freezing outside and I'm <laughs> shivering and I want a cigarette and now I got to walk all the way back home. And so I could mm. feel my ego reassembling itself. Right. But here is the cool thing that for some blessed reason I did in that moment. I said to the universe or whoever was listening, I said, I'm going to do everything I can to feel that spirit part in every moment. Oh. I'm going to make my life about that. That's what my life is going to be about. And I then kind of came out of it. But here's the magic. The next day, I get a call from a friend of mine who said mm. that he was going up the road from about 30 miles from me to listen to an old college professor of his that he had known at Harvard. Mm -hmm. And did I want to come? And I said, well, what's it about? And he said, well, my, my old college professor went to India and he had a big enlightenment experience. And now he dresses in robes and, and I just want to hear what he had to say, you know, cause he was this regular college professor when I knew him and what happened. And so I said, okay, well, that sounds interesting. And so we went to this beautiful estate at Webster Lake, New Hampshire, and we went in the gate and who it was, was Ramdas. <laughs> and Ramdas had just got back from India and he had his robes and he had all these maybe a dozen or so young people around him who were offering people fruit. And it was just, <laughs> it was the weirdest thing. I mean, for a person who'd never even heard of a yoga book this was like <laughs> yeah <laughs> plugging into a totally different reality <laughs> yeah and but then something i did with ramdas i went up after his talk and uh, i asked him i said okay look at me you seem like a very wise person what would you recommend that i do if i wanted to really open up to the maximum amount of spirit i can feel in myself and i told him a little bit about this experience i had and he said, well, you know, in India, sometimes they don't maybe go to therapy for something like that. They might go to a yoga retreat or they might meditate or they might do some breathing exercises. And I said, breathing exercises, I don't, I don't get it. What are you talking about? And I said, where would I learn about something like this? And here's what he said. This was really magical. He said, oh, don't worry, something will come to you. Okay. And so <laughs> the next day I went to the grocery store and I was checking out and I looked to my left and there's a little book called Yoga, Youth and Reincarnation Ooh. by Jess Stern. I imagine you can still buy it today, but it was this little paperback book. Uh -huh. And I'll tell you how long ago it was. Paperback books back then cost 65 cents oh. and 95 cents for the really big ones. And this was one of the big <laughs> ones for 95 cents. And I had to stop. Do I but what it was, was a book of entirely breathing exercises, yoga exercises, meditations, <laughs> chants. I mean, it was just exactly what Ram Dass had said would come to me. Deliverance. <laughs> it delivered. And so what I did was I snapped it up and I went home. It was about three o'clock in the afternoon, and I started just doing the book. I started working my way through the yoga postures and everything, and by about midnight, I was flying pretty high already, and then I got to the chapter on meditation, and I did about two minutes of this simple meditation that was in the book. It was like, you know, chanting Om, Om, something like that, 
And I immediately, within a couple of minutes, went into that space that I'd gone into when I fell down on the ground. But this time, I didn't have to hit my head to do it. (laughs) There it was, right there in my body, where I could feel it, right there in my mind, Hmm. the same open space. And so, in one way or the other, almost everything in my life, in my career, has been about finding different ways to reveal that in ourselves. And the big leap, for example, is a result of 10 years of working in business world with coaching executives and that kind of thing. Whereas the new book, Conscious Luck, uh, has a lot to do with uh, people I worked with, sometimes from the entertainment community that had been going along, kind of bump, 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 and then choing. And uh, so uh, I was really uh, excited uh, when this book came out because for the first time, I'm able to get everything I think about how to make yourself lucky into one place. I love it. Thank you so much for sharing that. And there's so much in there that I'd love to get into. And the, the thing that I think is most present for me is, we're talking about an introduction to conscious luck and the conversation is anchored in this space of spirit. So how much of our luck is, is like, is it perhaps we need to redefine our understanding of what luck is perhaps, because when we see luck, we kind of, and I think you mentioned this in the book, we sort of see it as a lightning strike. It's like, boom, like a moment. I got lucky, like a windfall. But the way you describe it in the book is actually there are the winds of luck and can you harness it, you know, like with your sails. And then that sail is kind of, from what I interpreted from the book is like our life, but the book actually gives us this permission to really step into, um, yeah, a, a way of living that integrates our spirit into day-to-day living and also heals a lot of things. Yes. Um, have you ever seen in, in science magazines, for example, I've, I've come across there's a species of sea turtles in Argentina that swims 1500 miles out into the ocean and onto this little island that's like three miles that's three miles long that sticks up out of the ocean and they find their way there every year and lay their eggs then they swim all the way back to the shore and they've been doing this presumably for millions of years Mm. and the same thing with um i was reading also i love i love science um national geographic and magazines like that and they, they have these um, little tiny um, hummingbirds that leave Guatemala every year and they find their way across the Gulf of Mexico mm. all the way to Alabama. They migrate there 500 miles yeah. without eating. You know? <laughs> and so something in them is pulling them. And I think we come equipped with that same kind of spiritual mm. kind of a, a, a space radar inside ourselves that seeks out opportunities for us to grow psychologically, spiritually, emotionally. And what happens though, unfortunately, is is we come up to those juncture points where we have the opportunity to learn something and then our old ego kicks in again. Just like on my diet, after I after I had that insight, I started eating completely different differently. I became pretty much a vegetarian, not because I wanted to be vegetarian, but because 
I decided that everything I'd eaten up until then made me fat. So I'm going to eat only things from now on that I've never eaten before. So I started eating fruits and vegetables and things like that. And in the first month, I lost something like 35 pounds and you know, 15 kilos. And it just fell off me. And you know what I did, though? I went right out and sabotaged myself mm. by eating this gigantic ice cream concoction with bananas <laughs> in it and everything. And I was passing an ice cream store, and I saw this family. There was four of them eating it. I ordered it just for me and ate it, you know? And it was just for about 20 minutes, I felt high as a kite. But then, oh, man, I felt about as sick as I've ever felt in my life when that when all the sugar hit and everything. So anyway, it was a one-time learning for me. And pretty soon I went back to eating my, my new way. And within uh, a year, I'd lost a hundred and some pounds. Another thing that happened to me during that magical year was my sight improved. Mm. And I used to have to wear glasses to pass my driver test up until then. And after that, my sight changed so that I was able to pass my driver's test even to this day mm. without um, corrective lenses and something shifted and I think part of it had to do with letting myself be willing to cry for the first time since I was a little kid you know I'd repressed all my emotions in there and I think somehow it affected my eyes um, but I know as soon as I started letting tears through again my eyesight began to change and so um that was a magical year. I, I feel like I became myself that year. And it was an important year of discovery. And then later on, when I met my wife, Katie, 40 years ago, we were able to recreate that kind of relationship with each other so that we have that kind of relationship of spirit as well as a physical and emotional relationship. Yeah. And so one of the things I hear you say when you were talking about the um, the hummingbirds as well, like I was reading uh, maybe we watched or read, read the same thing, but uh, these hummingbirds that travel over across the Gulf of Mexico, they travel this far without food. And at a certain point, there's this really interesting phenomenon because some years they leave, um, I think it's America, the North of America, earlier to get to Guatemala. And at certain years they leave later. And they couldn't understand why they were leaving at different times. And then they started mapping this against the patterns of the typhoon seasons. And they realized the birds always left so that to miss the typhoon. And, but they were leaving in advance before the typhoons hit. And then they went on this study of trying to understand, can, they, can these birds actually predict the typhoon and to what accuracy? And there was a year where the weather forecasters actually predicted low tornado typhoon season and the birds left early and this was the year that they were going to basically say uh-huh or mm -mm. and um uh-huh one through the birds were right and so i find myself tuning into and you mentioned this in the book as well this conversation around this interconnectedness this intuition that is sort of communicating the stuff of life through us right Yes. And I think each of us has our own separate kind of programming, you know, like your programming because of the culture and the family you grew up in is totally different than mine. But yet right under the surface, you and I have exactly the same sadness 
we have exactly the same fear because you and I are wired just the same. You have a zone of your body that you can feel sadness in. You have a zone of your body that you can feel when you're angry, your jaws get tight, the back of your neck gets tight. We all have a belly that we can tell whether it's tight or relaxed and we all can feel our sexual feelings, whether they're awakened or not. So as we get tuned into our bodies more and more and more, kind of the last frontier of discovery in the body is discovering that spiritual aspect of ourselves, that spacious aspect of ourselves that's underneath and behind and at the center of everything in ourselves. And to me, the journey of life has to do with that propels us into one situation after the other that gives us the opportunity to reveal it. Mm. And then sometimes we come up short. We go, no, that's not time yet. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm not up for that yet. You know, because I'd, I'd been on a dozen, two dozen diets up until that day that I, I fell on my back and none of them had ever worked. Mm. And as a kid, I was put on, like as a teenager, I was put on these amphetamine diet pills that cranked everything up in my body. You know, I slept about four hours a night and got straight A's on all my exams because I, I couldn't sleep. But as soon as I went off the pills, I went back to being a regular C and B student again. Um, so I think down inside ourselves is the discovery of our lifetimes, which is this ability to feel that spirit part of us, that same part of us that pulls us, that's the, the same thing that's pulling those turtles toward that island, and the, the same thing that's pulling um, in the beautiful Kathleen Raines poem, The Invisible Way. She talks about there's an invisible way across the sky. The birds are finding it. The birds are feeling it. And we're wired exactly the same way if we learn to feel it. Uh, I came across something in an anthropology book once that um, there was an anthropologist that was living among the Bushmen of uh, South Africa, and they, they were able to detect the movement of game animals that were nine miles away. Wow. And they said they did it by feeling sensitivity in the calves of their legs. <laughs> in other words, they were picking up on some kind of vibration that most of us aren't tuned to. And right here in my neighborhood, uh, well, my valley that I live in a mountain valley uh, that's maybe 15 miles from one direction to the other. And we have earthquakes here. And we also have um, coyotes. I don't know if you know, it's a mm -hmm. wild dog. Yep. What do you call them over there? Dingoes? Maybe yeah, they kind of like dingoes. Yep. Yeah, but they howl. Mm -hmm. They howl in a very distinctive way. Every time there's an earthquake, I know it's happening because the coyotes will start howling in the middle of the night and it'll wake me up. And sure enough, 10 seconds later, boom. Yeah. You know, right. so they've been some sensitizing themselves. Mm -hmm. So I think the message for us regular old human beings mm -hmm. is to make our life a quest for revealing that genius zone mm -hmm. in ourselves. To make that what your life is about, because that's where luck comes from, too. The more you're able to open up to that part of yourself, the better your luck becomes. And in conscious luck, we give um, eight different paths to getting there, give the details of that. But really, it's really about being willing to reinvent yourself as a luckier person every mm -hmm. day. And why not? You know, why not do that? Why not try that on? 
It's interesting that, and I remember when I was reading the book that it was just like the, from the outset, it was the first, the first principle is to commit to it. It's like commit to being lucky. And I even noticed in myself, like going into a podcast, talking about luck, it's like, oh, I'm going to be talking to people about luck. Like what gives me the audacity to feel like I can talk about luckiness? And I was like, what gives me the, not the audacity? Like, why is it, why do I need audacity? And it's like, what is this energy <laughs> around luck that it's like, oh, we can't talk about luck or like, you know, it's like my luck, your luck. And it's like, actually, okay, this is really interesting because the first call to action in the book is just commit, just commit to like, hey, like luck is a thing and I'm going to allow myself to be lucky. And it's like, wow, okay, uh, I can do that. And you've been, you shared how, where that dropped in. And thank you so much for sharing that. And the biggest takeaway for me was in that, was that my luck is actually somewhat in my own hands. Um, and then we talk in the book, I think that was the principle three was like the, the actual, uh, or that was the second bit was like, there's barriers. But the third bit was when you were referring to all your, like some of the spaces in your body that you felt. And I found this to be a really interesting space to explore, which was, converting bit, bits of your, um, let's just call it the energetic field, I guess, uh, within you from shame to spaces where you can draw in more luck. And it was interesting just feeling into some of the exercises you gave in the book. I'm not by any means demeaning the work that you shared in the book, but I felt like they seemed so simple. Some of the exercises that I went into almost offhand. Um, uh, but when I started diving into them, I was like, whoa, like just looking at a timeline and just going, okay, wait, where did my shame drop in? And it was like, oh, that like right there, <laughs> right there. And yeah. to dissimilar to you, it was like, I was 105 kilos in high school. And I was just like, the, the, the joke in my high school was that'll happen the day Amrit's skinny as in like, that's never going to happen. <laughs> right. And, <laughs> but then, anything can happen. Cause now looking lo and behold, touch wood. But, um, but yeah, it was just really- are other, are other members of your family fat? Yes. Yes. Uh-huh. So it's a family tradition. <laughs> it is a tradition. It is a tradition. And um, yeah, and that was another piece as well when you were sort of communicating in the or in the book when I was tuning into you is this conversation around that was then, this is now, this is them, um, this is me. And trying to just like realize, well, like I'm consistently living out patterns and programming that like were way back when and are not mine, right? And just coming back to to the center again. Um, what was that process for you like, like coming up with the idea around that, you know, we can sort of drop into like bits of us that are basically holding shame can actually be spaces for more luck to come in. That sounds so counterintuitive. <laughs> it is totally counterintuitive. And what happened for me was grounded in a particular painful experience I had when my mother passed away in 1990, my brother and I some months later, we were down in her house, cleaning it up and helping getting ready to sell it and all that. And I was moving a picture frame from one place to another and an envelope with a letter in it fell out of the back of the picture frame. Mm. And I picked it up and looked at it and it was addressed to my mother in the year of 1945, which was the year I was born. And so I opened the letter and it probably had been stuck there since 1945 because what it was all about still I can feel it in this moment in my body mm. it was this impassioned letter from my mother's church group at the Morrison Memorial Methodist Church in Leesburg Florida a wonderful institution where I grew up 
at this church, they had women's church groups and there would be like eight or 10 women. And this was kind of the foundation of, of these churches were these little groups of women who really ran the thing. And so my mother, the letter was from my mother's church group to her, begging her to come out of the house. And it was saying, Norma, you can't just sit inside in shame. You've got to come back out and be with us. You know, we miss you. We want to support you, but you won't let any of us in. And this made my hair stand on end because they were talking about me that my mother was so ashamed of. Mm. The circumstances of my birth were not ideal uh, for my mother. And so um, the for some reason, my mother's you know, big emotion was shame. But I didn't realize that until this moment because I had never felt shame in my own body. And in this moment, it awakened in me. Oh, my goodness. I was pickled in shame from the beginning of my life. I must have it somewhere in my body. And I opened up and said, where is the shame here that's in my body? And suddenly I could feel it all the way down through my legs and, you know, where it had been sitting for 40 some years until I opened that letter. Oh, my goodness. That was so life changing. But what happened next? I don't know where this idea came from, frankly. It didn't seem to come out of my brain anyway. <laughs> uh, but as I was sitting there feeling my shame or actually standing there feeling the shame and where was it in my body, the idea came, oh, you can feel this new territory in your body. You don't have to let it be shame. You can be, you can replant the field with something entirely different. You know, it's like a farmer suddenly discovering that he's got 40 acres that he didn't realize he had, you know. And so the idea came to me, I'm going to rededicate my shame field to now be an attractor field for luck and love. Mm. And you can do that with any emotion in your body that you struggle with. Just open up to your anger, for example, feel it, just acknowledge it and say, okay, I also want to use that area now as an attractor feel for luck and love. What do you got to lose? You know, because <laughs> <laughs> and it works miracles. I've seen it so many times now that uh, I'm I'm the world's biggest cheerleader. I think for this moment of letting go of letting go of the past, letting go of your limiting beliefs and opening up something new, you know, just getting the space from those negative beliefs for a moment. Um, I was uh, talking earlier about my book, The Big Leap, in there, which Conscious Luck is kind of a sequel to, in The Big Leap, I talk about the upper limit problem a lot. And it plays a role in Conscious Luck too, because what happens is people start getting luckier and then they have an upper limit, you know, and then they stop using their affirmations and they stop doing their luck work. And of course it doesn't work then, but what we have to do is keep dedicating ourselves over and over again. Just like when my daughter was learning to ride horses, when she was six, seven years old, I would get freaked out when she would fall off. But the teacher said, you know, falling off is part of learning, you know, and unless they're hurt, they just get back on the horse and go again. 
But I remember the first time she went off the horse, you know, I was over there at the fence and about to climb the fence. And mm. the trainer, though, this wonderful woman just picked up my daughter, said, you OK? And my daughter said, yeah. And then she put her right back on the horse and they were going again. And that's what we have to do with our quest to reveal our genius zone. We just have to keep moving through the upper limit problem, getting knocked back a little bit, then rededicating and coming back again. And as I always say, at the end of the year, you won't recognize yourself. <laughs> and that's the other piece that you share in the book as well, which is this this sense of adventure and not letting things get stale. Um and just yeah, making sure that you keep things like like a like luck kind of feeds into your creativity in many ways also your adventurous spirit in many ways as well yeah yes yes i happen to have an adventurous spirit but mm -hmm. uh, a lot of people don't you know a lot of people are more cautious in life and that's fine too because we all have to move at our own essence pace what i call your essence pace mm, tell us more about is, that yeah the essence yes pace. your essence pace is well just imagine I once, here's how I came up with this idea. I was working with a couple many years ago who had come here from a, another state. And one day over the lunch break, we all went out for a walk together. And I noticed that she always walked faster than he did. He, she was always pacing along and he was always kind of trying to catch up. And it was really an interesting snapshot of their relationship. And I realized we all come with this what I call an essence pace, our true essence, who we are inside likes to move at a certain pace. And some people are, you know, go like rabbits and some <laughs> people go like tortoises, Yeah, you know, but it's our job to find that. In our live seminars, we often have people walking around the room finding their essence pace of just how fast they like to walk. And it's really amazing because a lot of people have never asked themselves, just how fast do I like to move through life? Mm. Yeah, that's really powerful. Yeah. And I, 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 when I was tuning into that, I was also realizing the, the conversation about, um, I think the way you put it was almost, uh, was quite stark for me and, and really hit, hit the nail on the head and really drove something home for me, which was, rushing is a form of i think you called it mental illness but i sort of saw it as like a as a form of self-harm almost um yeah um, it's a form of of self-abuse abusing yourself hmm. being in a hurry yeah i always i said it once jokingly in a lecture and it kind of caught on i said that uh i consider being in a hurry is a, a sign of impending mental illness. And the audience loved it because they were all hurriers, you know. And, but in a way, it's true because if you get too far out of your essence pace, out in front of it or behind it, you know, if you're being real sluggish with your learning of life. Hmm. See, a lot of life has to do with your openness to learning. Mm -hmm. It's like we have a valve that you can turn up or turn down. And it's a valve called openness to learning. And if you're open to learning, information comes in, you sift through it, the, you use the part that's useful. But if you're not open to learning, information comes in and bounces off and you keep making the same mistakes again in bigger and bigger ways until something happens, mm. you know? And so a lot of the times it's, keeping our nozzle, our openness to learning nozzle faucet 
turned down so that you're not open to learning from pieces of feedback. You know, it's interesting. In the long history of our business, which has been in uh, since the 1980s, and you know, we run a, a large kind of a virtual university of mm -hmm. graduates of people around the world who take our trainings, who are professionals and that kind of thing. Uh, and we also have a, a large base of hundreds of thousands of people on Facebook and that kind of thing where people have read our books. And so there's this big community. And one of the things that um, people are asking themselves that I notice out in that bigger community is now that we've got this worldwide crisis going on, mm. what use am I making from it? What can I learn from it? Mm -hmm. And it's amazing how that question, hmm, what can I learn from this, has so much power to it to help people reinvent themselves so that they can function well in this new world that's coming into being. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love that. And I think it is, um, it is a, yeah, I think you, yeah, it really resonates the conversation around that fact that we're here to learn and leaning back into the, the timing conversation. I think the essence pace was a really potent reminder for me, reminding me that everything is in good time as well. Like not just in my, my gate, like also the day to day rushing, but then also like the level of expectations we have as well. And I think that tunes into a little bit, the conversation that we're having now, you know, everything is happening in good timing and what can it teach me? You know, sometimes, you know, we, yeah, I learn a lot from patients and my lack thereof. I've, I've learned to stop praying for patients. Actually, <laughs> you might find this funny <laughs> because I realized that um, I want patients and I want it now <laughs> <laughs> because I've really, yeah, I realized <laughs> that's the great way of putting it. <laughs> but I've also realized that sometimes in like if I pray for patients, the universe and its benevolent wisdom may actually just send me something to be patient for. <laughs> <laughs> so like now I don't now I don't pray for patience, <laughs> but it, uh, yeah the lessons uh, the lessons come in thick and thin left right and center. So there's a couple of things that it would be rude not to dive into in this podcast in this conversation just because you're here and these were amazing takeaways for myself. The key one was setting luck worthy goals. Mm. I know we've talked about your genius zone, but I feel like this is really honoring your genius zone with something tangible. Can you tell us more about setting luckworthy goals, Gabe? Yes, indeed. We always say you need to give luck a good reason to land. Mm. And developing luckworthy goals, a goal, a luckworthy goal is if I were the luckiest person on earth, what would I want? You know, what would I really want in this situation? And to make sure that your life is about those three or four or five things that are sacred to you, that are really important. I have an earlier book called Five Wishes that uh, came out a few years before The Big Leap. And it was about a moment in my life where I, I, I realized that well, let me tell you the quick story. Do we have time for a quick, yeah. for another quick story? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, one of the expansive moments of my life came, uh, I was at a party that I really didn't very much want to be at, but my wife, at, um, well, she wasn't my wife yet, but Katie was in my life and we were kind of at a place where is our relationship going to make it or not? 
And I hadn't realized that it was sort of up to me, but until this moment happened. So we went to this party and it was a party for the engagement of a colleague of mine, a fellow psychologist. And I was not so enthusiastic about it because it was gonna be his fifth marriage. And I'd known him for three and fourth marriage. <laughs> and I didn't have a lot of confidence that five was gonna make it either. <laughs> <laughs> and bless his heart, I don't know if they're still together or not, but I wish them well. But anyway, uh, I was at the party. And I'm not exactly a party animal. You know, I, I, the racket drives me crazy and everything. But I wanted to introduce Katie to all my colleagues and everything. So, mm. But anyway, at, at one point in the party, I wandered off into the library of this house. And I was just browsing through the books. And then this other man came in there, was doing the same thing. And he was this tall, bald gentleman of about 60 years of age. Mm. And at the time, I was uh, in my maybe maybe 40 around there, early 40s. And so he was kind of one generation in front of me, older brother, way older brother kind of thing. And we struck up this conversation. And I said, uh, he said something like, you don't like parties either, huh? And I said, no, the small talk bothers me. And he said, well, then let's not have any small talk. And I said, okay, well, we can either have big talk or no talk at all. And he said, let's have some big talk. So it was really a great little moment, you know? And so I asked him, I said, you go first. Tell me, what's something really big in your life? And he said, well, six months ago, I almost died. Whoa. But now I think it was the greatest moment of my life, the greatest gift of my life. And I said, well, that's definitely big talk. <laughs> tell me about it. And so the way it changed my life is he said the gift was he'd realized in almost dying, he realized that there were four or five things in his life that were the most important things. Mm. But why did I wait till I almost died? to get clear on what those things were. Mm -hmm. And so he recovered and then he got busy really trying to make all those things happen. And so he asked me in this moment, he said, imagine if you were on your deathbed 50 years from now or whenever, and I came and I asked you, was your life a total success? And if you said yes, and I said, why? What are the four or five things? would you be able to tell me? You know, it was this huge question. And I, I remember falteringly, almost kind of yeah, joking. Recoiling from yeah, it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that hit me hard, yeah. I didn't sign up for this much big talk, you know. <laughs> and, uh, but I did take it seriously finally. And I began to live with that question. And I came up with five things mm. that, are, that are in my book, Five Wishes. And those five goals, my luckworthy goals became mm. my driving goals for my entire life. And I'll briefly tell you what they were. My first number one goal was I wanted to create a loving relationship with a woman with whom I could grow and change over the years, that mm. the relationship would blossom along with our personal growth. Mm. That's what I really wanted. And I'd never had that. Mm. And I was just on the beginning stages of my relationship with Katie. And I didn't know if that was the place where I could do that or not, but that's what I really wanted. Mm -hmm. 
Number two, I wanted to live in completion, in a state of completion with everyone in my life, my family, my family of origin, other people I knew, my daughter. I wanted to have everything be complete so that nobody had anything that was not said, mm. secrets or anything like that. Yeah. And I come from a Southern family where secrets are everywhere. <laughs> you know, I don't know if it's like that in, in your culture or not, but man, uh, read the books of William Faulkner sometime. It's all, it's, it's about my family. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so uh, Southern families are well known for the secrets and that kind of thing. So I had a lot of cleanup to do, but I wanted to live in a state of completion in my life. The third thing I wanted was I wanted to learn how to write from my heart. I'm a writer, and as I said, I started out as an English major. I wanted to write novels and that kind of thing. And, but I wanted to learn how to write about what's important in life in a way that it contains the heart, that's not an academic thing. Because mm. I you know if you have a P I had a PhD from Stanford, and it's a very rigorous academic institution, so you learn a certain way of communicating there, the academic way of communicating. And it's a great thing, mm. but I came to want something different. I wanted to communicate with you know, everybody, yeah. <laughs> not just academics. And uh, what makes me happy to this day is like, just this week, a person sent me a message that her sixth, sixth grader, which would be like, what about 11 years old, <laughs> has fallen in love with my book, The Big Leap. Oh, and, wow. I mean, that really knocks me out that, you know, a person 13 is getting that kind of information. So, um, I think those five things, the fourth thing I wanted was I wanted to have as deep an experience as possible of the creator force in the universe, whether you call it God or spirit or what your language for it is. It's that creator force that drives everything in the universe, including ourselves. And the fifth thing I wanted, which I'm still coming to every day, is I want to live my life as an act of savoring. I want to savor the moment. I want to be right here. And it doesn't matter, you know, my wife and I have been many times on Oprah where we've been talking to 10 million people at the time, or I'm talking to the person next to me on the airplane. It really doesn't matter as long as I'm getting to have the big conversations mm. that life I think is all about. And so I want to savor my life, whether it's eating some of my wife's magical food or whatever I'm doing, I want to be here for the moment. And that's been an important long-term learning because I think I came from a place from not being there most of the time, just sort of being off in my head somewhere. Mm, yeah. And uh, I think those are incredible goals and I love how they're all so heart centered and they're so nourishing for one's being. They're not necessarily the materialistic goals that most people would anticipate when you say luck worthy goals. Um, these are very much goals that are yeah, inspiring for the soul to show up in. And uh, yeah, I relate to the, to the piece where you're like, you know, just taking the time and energy to savor each and every moment. Um, yeah. It's, it's, it's incredible how the mind loves to, uh, <laughs> loves to, loves to jump around and, and make sense and take control of things. And one of the, one of the other things that was, um, I kind of, you mentioned that, you know, um, savoring the moment, whether you're, you know, speaking to 10 million people or whether you're speaking to one person at a time, 
another place you go in the in the book uh, creating conscious luck was um this really it really rang true for me it was a massive shift for me that i made in my life at, at a certain point um and it wasn't even like i called it like i initiated it but somehow i must have called it in um is this is this piece around the company you keep um i i've, I've felt like calling it the conscious tribe or the lucky tribe um can you tell us a little bit about how important it is the people that are around you for you to yeah live this uh, dream life this lucky life this yeah yes well a simple way to put it is I think everybody needs four or five people in their lives whose face whose faces light up when you walk in the room. <laughs> it's a good way to think of it. You know, do you have four or five friends or people you hang out with, business partners who light up and who make your face light up when they walk in the room? Mm. I surround myself with those kind of people. Mm. And it's a conscious choice. I think too many people saddle themselves and upper limit themselves by hanging around with people who don't match their growth and evolution. Mm. They may feel loyal to them or, you know, uh, something like that, but they don't represent your vibrational level with where you are in your life. And so I want to I want to up level all the time. I want to hang out with people who are even more expanded than I am. You know, I want to hang out with people that uh, come up with even more creative ideas than I do. So I want to get get in their uh, slipstream too. You know, and so I think it's up to all of us to look around and say, okay, I'm going to surround myself with a small number of people. Are they going to be people who are lucky? Good things happen to them, or things that they're always complaining about how they're the victim and that kind of thing. And so I think too many of us make that unfortunate choice of hanging out with too many people that kind of are, a, you know, weights upon you as you move forward in life. So I think a lot of people have to confront that in order to cut off ties with people that are bringing them down and move on from that. Mm. Yep. I, I feel what you're saying. And in there, the other piece that was huge was, luck and the synonymicity can i say that as a word synonymicity i'm going to use that as a word luck being synonymous with gratitude <laughs> yes that's such a beautiful um my my writing partner carol klein who's a lovely person um i think she had that vision first of of that feeling of gratitude and luck being the same thing, that they're part of that, that open space that I talked about, that I first felt in that experience when I was 24 years old. And now, because I meditate every day and have for 50 years now, I've, uh, I learned to meditate in 1972, official meditation, you know, where I do it every day. Mm -hmm. I became a daily meditator. So I guess that's uh, 48 years ago. So I, I have a 48 year meditation streak. And the reason I do it every day is because in that space, I feel that space in the space of that 15 or 20 minutes or however I meditate, I feel that space. And I, 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 value that open space inside myself that space of pure creativity that space of pure consciousness 
And so I think the more we feel that, the more open we are to good things happening to us in general. Mm -hmm. And that's why gratitude, the expansion, the expansiveness of gratitude opens up that space more. Because if you're grateful for what you have, that puts you in a very receptive place to have even better things happen. But if you go the opposite direction, if you're complaining about what you have, Mm then things go in a different direction because luck comes to you. The winds of luck are blowing, because, but because you're closed down, you don't get a ride off those winds. And what inspires you the most to stay open, Gay? Ooh, life itself. The actual <laughs> streaming sensation of life and the space in me and also the rich network of relationships I get to my love relationships and my relationship with Katie and, you know, all the many, many people in my life that I get to celebrate that experience of open spaciousness and love and that uh, energizes me. And I imagine will until the moment I take my last big gulp. (laughs) Thank you so much for sharing that. And uh, yeah, also thank you for sharing your, your five, um, yeah, your five wishes as well. I think, you know, when we think about a genius zone, we often forget about, you know, playing, bringing genius into our relationships, bringing genius into our, like, yeah, into our day-to-day things, our love for ourselves. And I think, you know, it's like I'm taking away a big set of permission to sort of acknowledge that, you know, if I'm going to, yeah, step into basically um, the things that I love to do and be rewarded for that, that shows up in every avenue. That shows up in, yeah. Well, also too, I want to um, just uh, appreciate you for making the bold, big leap of moving out of the thing that wasn't bringing you fulfillment and finding something that's in your genius zone that's bringing you fulfillment. Not everybody does that. You know, very, very rare to have people do that. So I want to acknowledge and appreciate you for that. Oh, thank you so much. It's a, yeah, it's, it's such a blessing. Um, and once, and I think you can probably attest to this as well. Once you sort of drink the Kool-Aid <laughs> of taking that big leap, <laughs> um, it gets, it gets somewhat, yeah, the, the, all that space for spirit inside it's, you know, it's, I can't say it's addictive. It's, it's more, it's, it's healing, it's nourishing, it's got its own energy and it's, it's it's incredibly loving and it's incredibly powerful at the same time as well. So you kind of just have to surrender to that at a certain point. Um, and you just keep learning to surrender again and again. Gay, it's been such a pleasure having you here. So I want to tune in. Is there anything else you would like to share? Um, I've got a couple of last questions to fire off, but is there anything that's present for you in this moment? Um, can't think of anything. I'm enjoying myself. So, uh, <laughs> Perfect. And I, I can uh, begin to... Uh, See a snack in my future and uh, later on a swim in my swimming pool. <laughs> nice. So, Gay, before we tune out, I'd love to sort of ask you this question, which is um, when you think of an inspired evolution, what does inspired evolution mean to you? Inspired evolution means that you're open to learning about yourself And you're particularly open to revealing spirit in yourself so that you not only feel inspired as you move through the pace of your evolution, but that inspiration on your part also inspires other people. 
So that's that's the first thing that comes to my mind. <laughs> Thank you so much for sharing that. That resonates so deeply, so deeply. And um, just a just a fun little question, but by no means a, an easy question. The last little one is gay. Beyond the beyond the name, beyond the books, beyond you know um, your relationships, who are you? Mm. I'm I'm play finding form. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I love that. Mm. Thank you so much for sharing your wisdom, your time, your energy, your essence with us here today. Really appreciate your time and energy here today, Gabe. But Noe also know that today is not just, you know, informed by this moment. It's also all the time and energy you spent over the countless years supporting so many people on this path and bringing this to us here today. So deep gratitude for for just you and your being, but also showing up consistently. And as always, <laughs> wishing you all the best for what's coming up ahead as well. Thank you very much. Uh, great being with you, Amrit. Thanks for listening in to another amazing episode of The Inspired Evolution. If you're loving these episodes, make your way across to YouTube, click subscribe. Fresh episodes are launched every Monday with highlights being released throughout the week. Thank you so much. And hey guys, just so you know, a lot of love, heart, soul and work goes into these episodes. So if you could, please leave us a five-star review and comment on iTunes. I love reading your positive feedback. It fans the flames of the passion to continue to create and help you live the life that you love. Thank you so much for your wonderful feedback. I can't wait to see you again in the next episode. Big love from Amrit. And remember to stay inspired to evolve. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowl and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowl and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé irresistible berry chantilly cake and more special treats come celebrate mother's day at whole foods market